Welcome to Beyond the Shoots is presented by Parasite Systems. Trent McFarlane is a rodeo clown, the funny man, the rodeo entertainer in the arena, and he performs most weekends about 10 months out of the year. You're going to hear some road noises on this episode because we caught Trent in his rodeo office, his pickup truck, where a large part of his rodeo business time is spent. Another part of life on the road with rodeo, the cell phone signal strength is how we sometimes measure success. I first met Trent at the Benton Rodeo in Benton, Pennsylvania about six years ago. He was traveling with his entire family and all were involved. I remember he was always available for anything that the rodeo committee had in mind. It was not unusual for us to be standing in the rodeo arena at five in the morning to be part of the morning show out of Scranton, Pennsylvania. We then would have breakfast in downtown Benton for a morning radio show and then came back to the rodeo arena for sound checks. Then the show at 7.30 each evening, Thursday night through Sunday night. In this episode, Trent talks about growing up in rodeo, learning the art of rodeo clowning, and those that influenced his style. He speaks about life on the road, balancing family, rodeo, and his nursing profession. We hope that you enjoy this episode as we go beyond the shoots with Trent McFarlane, Rodeo Entertainer. Today, we've got Mr. Trent McFarlane. Now, he's a professional rodeo entertainer and barrel man. He's on the phone with us. He is down uh, in Montgomery or around Montgomery, Alabama. Trent, are you there? Yes, sir. I am here. I'm <laughs> loving it. How are you doing, sir? I am doing good. It is great to hear your voice. It is great that you're on the show today. It's great to be talking to you, Doug. You you came into my life early in my rodeo career, and uh, I've always enjoyed visiting with you. Absolutely. And speaking of visiting, I was at the Benton Rodeo this year. Hard to believe, 38 years. That great committee. Right? Yeah, that, that is crazy. And you've been there a number of times. Uh, it is definitely by far one of my funnest shows. I, I love going to it. You know, it's like going home to family when you go to the rodeos you've been to for a long time, and you're in with the committee, and and you know all the people that are coming and going in and out of the gates. And, and it's great. You bet. Yep. You bet. And that's kind of up in your neck of the woods, right? You were you were brought up, uh, born, raised up around North Washington, Pennsylvania. Well, sort of, kind of, Doug. Okay. Sort of, kind of. I'm kind of behind 57. Okay. I, I, I don't fit in really anywhere I go all the way, no matter where I'm at in the country. <laughs> right. They say, you sound weird. You talk different. Yeah. Well, I was born in Wyoming, okay? Uh, okay, okay. And, and here's the backstory on that. And some kids are lucky and born in a rich family. Yeah. And I got extremely lucky and was born in a rodeo clown family, okay? Right. So, Dad was rodeoing up in the Northeast at North Washington. Okay. He was from Alabama. Yeah. He met the country bumpkin, the the local girl that that was at the you know the rodeo and booing on the cowboys and he worked his magic and next thing you know they're in love. They traveled all over the country and moved to Wyoming and that's where my brother, I, and my sister were born. Okay, so, all right. And he worked the Cody Night Rodeo up there for a long time, didn't he? That's right. He went there. Yeah, I think his first time was in the early seventies. Mm-hmm. And that's where he fell in love, lived there, and, and I was born in 1980, and he was still working the nightly. 
Okay. And and when did he start to tug you and say, Hey, I need help with an act or I need you I need you to help me get ready for an act even? Maybe you didn't go into the arena originally? Do you remember growing up, Trent? Yes, sir. So th- there are a few small memories of us, you know, getting put makeup put on for parades and various things. But back in the early eighties, when the times got tough in Wyoming, they shut down all the oil fields during the energy, energy crisis, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and there was no work to be had. So dad would work the Cody nightly during the summer work big game hunts in the fall and then throughout the winter and whatnot, he got a good job driving oil tankers and he'd go all up in the mountains and haul oil out. Well, when they shut all the oil fields down, there was no good way to make a living Mm. in Wyoming. Okay. Okay. So dad, dad backed off from the rodeo and about 84, 85. And, uh, next thing you know, we were moving to Alabama where he was from, kind of regathered the thoughts. So he took a break from rodeo whenever I was fairly young. Hmm. And, you know, that was kind of, oh, I was a little too young to truly grasp it. But, okay. you know, I loved being around the rodeo as a young child. I got all, all the good memories of winning the ribbons or winning a six pack of Coca-Cola from the stick horse race at the nightly, you know. Mm-hmm. But when dad stopped rodeoing. Then, you know, it kind of evaporated from my mind. It really wasn't a thought because I was young. Yeah, yeah. And next thing you know, mom and dad kind of decided they'd go their separate ways. Mom carried us up to Pennsylvania. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which is how I ended up living up there from 90, I'm sorry, 86 to 95. Oh, my. Okay. Okay. So I'd live with mom during the winter and whatnot. And during the summer, hey, I'd get to come down and stay with dad. Get to you know, be around horses, and he was a farrier by trade. Oh, okay. Well, next thing you know, we're down here one summer in '93, and a rodeo producer in the area needed a clown. Something had happened, and he needed a clown desperately. New dad was a clown before he retired and quit. So he called him up and said, Look, Sid, you're funnier with a broom than most guys out here with that. He said, I need you to do a rodeo. Okay. And here's where it gets really interesting is back in the 70s, the first rodeo my dad ever put makeup on was in Selma, Alabama. Selma. Selma. Selma, Alabama. That's right. Okay. Rodeo clown needed help. He was entered up in the rodeo. And next thing you know, he's getting a little bit of money to Mm -hmm. help the clown do the show. And dad put on makeup. And man, hey. He went from working like all day long in the hay fields for $20 to making it in one night at a rodeo. Mm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You know, he done, he done stuck a fat hog. <laughs> Happy days are here at last. He'll never be broke again. Yeah. So when dad was young, he started first rodeo in Selma, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Well, here I am 25 years later, born in Wyoming, living in Pennsylvania. Dad gets a phone call and they need a rodeo clown. And the first rodeo I ever put makeup on at was Selma, Alabama. Oh okay? my! Okay, okay. So that's that's unique, right? That that's interesting. That's I'll take it one step further. Yeah. Unbeknownst to me, twenty-five years or more later, my wife and I would marry, and go looking back through the memories. She was a junior 
queen, junior princess, that year at Selma, Alabama Rodeo. Okay. So we never would have known it. You know, 25 years later, we finally meet. But that's cool. You know, that's cool stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Selma was your first, was that your first rodeo professionally where you said, I'm an entertainer? Uh, I don't really know if I could claim that as, you know, I'm gonna, I'm a professional. I got put on makeup. I yeah. was 13 years old. Okay. Got out there in the arena, helped dad do the various skits that we came up with or some that he had already done for years. Yeah. And, uh, I remember being scared and, and looking at dad and saying, dad, well, what about the bulls? You know, should I leave the arena during the bull riding or should I stay out there with you? He said, oh, son, he said, the worst they can do is kill you. They can't eat you. <laughs> right, right. So, so you were in the arena, you were in the arena the entire rodeo, Trent? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I okay. got to be part of the show. And, okay. And, man, I, you know, I was bitten by the show bug right then and there. Okay. But, but yeah. that was, you know, just dad helping out somebody doing a rodeo. Yeah. Well, by the next summer, that guy had dad hired for a run of rodeos. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, we were going every weekend that summer when I came back to visit dad. We were traveling all over the southeast. And finally, I told mom, I said, mom, I know what I want to be in life. I want to be a rodeo clown. Mm-hmm. I was 15, broke her heart, but it was time to move to Alabama because I'm going to be a rodeo clown. And I moved down to live with dad. Okay. So 15 years of age, you moved to Alabama, and 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 kind of an apprenticeship then under your father? Absolutely. That would okay. be the best way to put it. Apprenticeship. I worked for him for the next 20 years. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, let's see, 95, 05, somewhere around 15, 20 years. Okay. Dad and I traveled every weekend rodeoing, and he let me know straight up. The, the school grades are dropping. The rodeo is done with. Okay. He wanted to make sure I got a good education to where I didn't have to depend on rodeo for an income or for, you know, like he was a horseshoer. Mm-hmm. He knew that that wasn't a career that someone can do for their entire lives in their 60s and 70s. Right. You know? So he wanted more for me on that aspect. And it was good to grow up shield horses with him because in front of a forge in Alabama summer where it's 110 degrees outside. Yeah. When I got of age, I could go get a job. I went to an air-conditioned grocery store. Okay. Okay. Pretty smart move there. Pretty smart move. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Now I I work in the operating room where we keep it 62 degrees year-round, and, you know, it's nice and comfortable. I that, complain if it's 64 degrees. Oh, my. Room. Okay. Okay. Understood. <laughs> and we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that in just a bit here. Okay. Uh, yes, sir. Very, yes, sir. very interested in that. Uh, so worked with your dad uh, a whole bunch of years. What was your breakout? Get out on the road. Go your own. You're your own single act now, Trent. Well, so. For quite a few years towards the end of Dad and I rodeoing together, mm-hmm. I had guys wanting to hire me. Hey, we need you. You know, we would like to hire you. Hey, can you? But I always felt obligated that as long as Dad needed me, yeah, I didn't want to leave him. I see. High and dry, mm-hmm. stranded. You know, mm-hmm. I felt obligated because mm-hmm. because I would end up doing a lot of the physical labor in getting the acts ready and. Back in, say, 94, 95, 
dad bought a really prestigious pack mm-hmm. with the his Van Hur Cherry race. He had two white mules, two black mules. The white ones pulled a red cherry with flames. The black mules pulled a black cherry with a lightning bolt. Holy cow. And it was good versus evil, right? Okay. What that meant for me was a whole lot of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I... I had four mules to wash. I had four mules to harness. I had, you know, two cherries to assemble and disassemble every show, paint, get all the stuff. It was a lot of work. Okay. And so, Dad got to where, you know, he really depended on me, and I got to be a pretty good hand when it comes to doing this skit and getting everything ready. And and we developed so many routines together that people just expected Sid and Trent. Yeah. As a package. Yeah. Well, Hey, it worked out great for me. I was in school. You know, I didn't have any major expenses to get to the rodeo. I rode with Dad. Mm-hmm. And the memories we made together are, yeah. you know, are, are, are priceless. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and what's interesting, and maybe some of our listeners don't know, you use the words, uh, your dad purchased that uh, Ben-Hur Chariot Race Act. That's right. Talk That's a little right. bit about that. What What do you mean purchased? Well, there's there's two ways to come up with a clown skit in the rodeo world. You can either invent one, or you can buy one. Mm-hmm. If you know the good skit that's for sale, and you can go out there and make a, a good living with it, then you can purchase it. The one thing you do not want to ever do is look at somebody's routine and, and say, okay, I'm going to do that, and, and go out there and basically steal yeah. their, what they've worked years to develop. Okay. So, Dad had this skit come across his radar, and the skitted every clown that ever used it went to the NFR with it. Oh wow! Okay. It's been around for forty years or more. Okay. You know, it was the timeless type of act, and there's still times I have delusions of grandeur of thinking, "Hey, I might need to break that skit out because it was great." Yeah. The man was in a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, do you, do you still own that, or your dad still own that act? Well, he kind of sold it to somebody, okay. but never really got paid for it. Oh. The guy told me where the chariots are, if I ever want to go get them, but, you know. Okay, okay. I've thought about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, so, you you run with your dad for a number of years. Your, your, your right. bills are paid. Your, your expenses are covered. He's driving down the road. You're running as a duo, right? It's Sid that's and right. Trent. That's right. We got, that's right. We got the pair here. Um, oh, yeah. And so when did you decide, eh, I'm going to take a left-hand turn here, Dad. I'm going to go out on my own. Well, here's the deal. <laughs> Dad retired from the Montgomery Fire Department because okay. that was, you know, he got a good job working at the fire department. And next thing you know, 20 years later, hey, he's a cowboy with a retirement coming. I see. So, holy cow. You know, that, that was a smart move on his part. Well, he went to Iraq for a year when he retired. He was going to go over there and make the big money as a firefighter in Iraq. I think it was like, you know, Operation Desert Storm. Or, no, not Desert Storm. Uh, Iraqi Freedom. Okay. Okay. Is that right? Yep. Yep. So, so he did he a deployment. He did a deployment for okay. a year as a firefighter. Okay. And that opened up my doors big time. Next thing you know, I'm looking at 20 rodeos that year. Well, I'd already been doing it for years and I and I had a huge, you know, advantage over someone who was just starting out because I knew a lot of the rodeo producers. Okay. I knew the flow of a show, the flow of a comedy act, things like that. 
Now, granted, for all those years, Dad and I were together, I didn't wear a microphone. Oh, you it did? It was just me. I was the body of the act. I was the pantomime. I was okay. the silent person doing the skit. Yeah. And that's huge because I was able to learn all that I can use to this day that doesn't require needing to talk on a microphone. You bet. You bet. And, and so next thing you know, I'm out there doing the rodeos for a year. Dad gets done. He comes back. He says, hey, son, you ready to go do some rodeos? Yeah. I told him, Dad, you ain't going to believe this. <laughs> Remember how you paid me like a couple hundred dollars a weekend? Yeah, yeah. These folks are willing to pay me twelve hundred a week yet. Can you believe that? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So he kind of knew what the deal was at that point. He said, "Yeah, I understand what's happening now." He said, "All right, you need to buy your own barrel." <laughs> okay. Okay. And and you bet that. You oh, bet. Okay. So you picked up twenty rodeos. You go from working with your dad as a do. He says, I'm going to retire. You picked up 20 rodeos. Were those basically the rodeos you guys had been doing together? Uh, it was for a rodeo producer that we had been working together with. Okay. Bet. Okay. And, and that, and you know, that year it was, it was great. I got to work in finals, uh, you know, and my first finals ever by myself. And there was a whole lot of learning now. Holy cow. Yeah, yeah. I try to bury all the pictures from them early days starting <laughs> off because I was not the polished guy I was today. Okay. And, and I'm still working on it. You yeah. know, every one of us that are in the profession, every time you go out, you learn something new. Certainly. Certainly. So what year was that that you did those 20 rodeos on your own for the first time? God, my, my memory's a little foggy, but I think it was like 2008 maybe. Okay. Okay. So that was your, eight or nine. Yep. And yep. then I have here that you went to the IFR showcase a couple times. You were the champion in 2011, the Comedy Act showcase champion in 2011, and you repeated in 2014. That's right. Yes, sir. I went out there with some acts that I was really proud of, you know, because I, I was able to take things I learned from dad and take skits that we had done together, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. tweak them. Yeah. I, I had the, the, the nursing income behind me to be able to put more money into acts and then have to necessarily live off of the rodeo paycheck. Okay. So I could kind of reinvest the money back into the quote unquote business. Okay. And so I was able to start, you know, getting car acts. I was able to come up with the same type of skits that dad and I was doing, but now all of a sudden I've got a really cool miniature ambulance or yeah. now I've got a race car and Carried them out to the showcase, entered them up, won the buckle and paycheck. Okay. And, 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 you know, just kind of started getting more and more shows and, and working my way up the ladder. Okay. Okay. Um, so I want to go back just one, one, one few steps ago. You talked okay. about needing to buy your own barrel, your own clown barrel, your own bullfighting <laughs> barrel. Where, where do you find a bullfighting barrel? Where do you find yeah. one? Yeah. It's not at Walmart. I promise <laughs> no, you that. No, right? no. Uh, I uh, and, and as a matter of fact, that that was a long time ago. I bought that barrel. I have done got a little bit uh, more of a dad bod since then. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm currently needing a barrel as we speak. Unless you know where I can find a barrel stretcher at. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. But uh, so I shopped around. Dad bought a barrel from Dwayne LaBeouf. 
Okay. In Louisiana. Okay. I ended up finding one in Arkansas from, I think, the, the sheep clinic. Uh, I forget the name of it there in Arkansas. And they made clown barrels. I don't even know if they're open anymore. Okay. But I was able to buy an aluminum barrel. Okay. Versus the cheaper steel barrels. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, here's the deal. Yeah. I could save $600 yeah. if I was a five-barrel without pads. Without okay. pads. Okay. Yeah. Without pads. Yeah. Now, I'd already repadded dad's barrel a time or two, so I knew how to do it, right? Right. Right. But okay. Well, I'll, I'll just get some, buy some foam and put on the inside of the barrel. Yeah. And I'll be fine. Yeah. Well, I got the barrel, and it's time to get the padded up. And I went and priced out foam, and it was like $600, $700 for oh, foam. wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They were real proud of the foam, yeah. all right? Yeah. But, hey, you won't ever accuse me of being extremely stupid. Right. All right? Right. I waited for trash day in Montgomery, Alabama. Okay. I started <laughs> driving around the neighborhood. Sure enough, I found a couch that somebody had thrown away. Okay. Hey. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. Here's my star. Here's my phone cushions. Perfect. Hurry up. Jumped out of the truck. Threw them in the back. Yeah. Took off. Took off. Got back to the house. Yeah. Got them up. Put yeah. them down in the barrel. Yeah. Off to the rodeo I go. Okay. And? First bull to come to the barrel. <laughs> yeah. I dropped down in the barrel waiting for the impact. And yeah. I'm braced up. And I'm pushing against the walls ready for the wreck. Yeah. And I get to smelling. What is that smell? <laughs> I realized yeah. that the person threw the couch away because the cat had unpeed all oh, over the couch. Oh, okay. <laughs> it took it took a year and probably a hundred dollars worth of Febreze to get rid of the smell of that barrel. <laughs> I'd come up out of the barrel and have cat hair stuck all over me. <laughs> yeah. So, so buying you next barrel, are you going to let them pad it for you? Uh, you know what? I'm probably going to buy one from Sean Caldwell. Yeah. Caldwell Creations. They make okay. great barrels. Okay. And it's worth the money. But back then, I didn't have the money. You know, yeah. I was yeah. a guy starting off. I was trying to go as cheap as I could. For sure. So, what what does a what does an entertainer budget these days? Just just. Uh, yeah, to, to for a, for a new barrel. What's a new barrel? All padded up, all oh, got all the logos on it. Now you got to think of the vinyl and everything goes with that. Ready to roll out in the arena. Looks nice, sharp, clean. You better have a budget of. Yeah, so <laughs> when I priced it out, I yeah. was with Sean Caldwell uh, about four or five years ago in Salinas. And when I was in Salinas, he was there, and I visited with him, and we hung out all week. And he said, Trent, I'll make you a deal, buddy. Yeah. I'll make you one for 3200 $3,200. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, so that's why I've been trying to suck it up and try to make it fit. But, okay. You know, part of my comedy skits that I do is I'll end up falling down in the barrel, right? Yep. I'll go butt first in the barrel. Yep. And I've always been able to just fold up. Okay pull my, my feet to my chin and <laughs> right. just drop down in it. Yeah. I did a show about three or four months ago, and I was feeling stiff from the weekend before. I thought they were going to have to bring a can opener out there to get me out of the barrel. Okay, I was wedged myself in that thing. I had folks that I knew sitting in the crowd that come from work <laughs> to watch me. Yeah. 
I had to pull my foot down past my face, had to pull the other one down. I mean, it was like playing Jenga in there. I had to. <laughs> oh my goodness you got to be flexible if you're going to be a rodeo entertainer if you're going to be a rodeo clown you got to you got to because i know i'm not getting down like i used to i used to curl up in a ball so small i would lay on my side and push out against the wall yeah and now i'm kind of in there my neck's cricked over and if i'm not careful Part of my head ends up on the barrel that's not padded. I see. I see. Okay. <laughs> and and how often do you get hit? Is it once a performance? By a bull, I'm you know, talking about. Yeah. You know, it depends on what rodeos you're working. Okay. Some guys, they haul a fighting bull, and, you know, every performance, you're going to get hit at least once. Okay. You okay. go to Cowtown, New Jersey, you yeah. know you're going to get hit about 10 times, not more. Yeah. You go to Okeechobee, Florida. Yeah. You know, they've got some killers down there that are going to come out and wreck the barrel. Okay. So, certain rodeos, you kind of expect it. Mm -hmm. But there's not as many nowadays that want to haul a mean bull because they don't want to take the risk of injuring their back pan help. They don't want to take the risk of injuring cowboys or the bullfighters. Yeah. So, a lot of them are what I call a campaigner. The bulls know their job. They buck the cowboy off. And they go straight to the outgate. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's kind of hit or miss. Okay. Now, when you do get into those tougher situations with those fighting bulls, um, you work with the, the bullfighters and you say, hey, if you need to roll me, roll me this way. Let me know it's coming. Why? What kind of what kind of talk is there in the rodeo arena as you are fighting bulls? You're tucked down in the barrel. That's right. That's right. You're blind. You don't know okay. what's happening. And it's like being in a car wreck, you yeah, know? Yeah. Uh, you're, you're going from zero mile an hour to 50 or 60 mile an hour in a split second. Yeah. It, you know, it, you're getting thrown every which way, kind of like being inside of a washing machine on, on the tumble cycle. And, and you, know, you know, you're getting thrown every kind of way if you're not braced up and really pushing against the wall. Yeah. I've had my knee come back and hit me in the forehead and okay. about knock me out. Okay. Yeah. There's Yep. There's there's been guys who have been shooken loose from it. Yeah. If you get an arm or a leg or a head or anything outside the barrel, it's it's as good as broke off. You bet. You bet. You know? Yep. You're going from a two thousand pound bull pushing you to the weight of the barrel and everything else. Yep. And it's a really it can be extremely dangerous. You bet. I, I'm I'm lucky. I'm yeah. way past due on a on a something bad happening. Yeah. I've been working the barrel since I was fifteen. Yeah. And no you know injuries. I, mean? I remember, knock on wood, I've, yeah. I've come up stiff. I've yeah. had ribs knocked out of place. Okay. From okay. where I've been hit in Homestead, Florida. I'll never forget it, man. What a hit. You get one of them big old framers hitting that, you know, and if they don't slow down, a good bullfighter can kill me or save me. You bet. And and talk a, a, bull, yeah, talk a little yeah. bit about that, Trent, please. Absolutely. A good bullfighter can make all the difference in the world to me. And the, and the bull riders and everything. Because if a bull is coming out there and going to hit my barrel, and he's running as fast as the bull can hit, yeah, then he can sure enough impact me as hard as he can. And it's going to hurt where a good bullfighter might kind of step out from the side of the barrel, throw a little fake, break that bull down just a little bit, but everything else. And next thing you know, the bull hits me, but not as hard as the initial impact. Okay. And then, and then all of a sudden, the bull, once he hits the barrel, you're kind of at his mercy. But a good bullfighter will keep those open ends away from 
the bull not allowing for a horn to get in there or a head or a leg or whatever. And they'll work and can really, uh, they're my lifesaver at that point. They're on the outside communicating to me. A great okay. bullfighter will let me know, hey, you're good. Or, hey, he's 20 feet out. He's 10 feet out. Get ready. Hold on. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. But once you drop down in, you don't know what's happening. You're blind. Okay. And you can only push against the walls for so long mm-hmm. being pushed out, you know, stand <laughs> pushed out and stressed and straining for so long before you actually you get tired. Well, if you think that bull's already come by and he's not going to hit the barrel, but you don't know he's right there and he's fixing to chili wop it. Once you get loose, you're like a pinball inside of the arcade game. You're getting knocked all over, shaking loose, fall out, whatever. And, and there's been guys that have been killed. There have been guys that you know knocked out mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Because of being in a barrel. Yep. Okay. So with that in mind, a good, good, good barrel, well, well padded, well constructed, is is vital right. to what you're doing. It's not just a, it's not just a prop out in the rodeo arena. That's right. It is more than a prop. You know, it's your lifeline, and if you go cheap on it, it can really cost you big time. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so you talked about uh, you've got a job, so you got some money, and you're investing in acts, so you can reinvest. You said into your into your program. Um, so, what what acts are you working this year? How many? And do you have oh. anything new coming out this year? Yeah, yes, sir. <laughs> so, I've got. I would dare say I've got more acts than anybody in rodeo. Mm-hmm. And that's just because, to me, a great rodeo clown is all about a big act. Yeah. I grew up watching Lethal Harris, mm-hmm. Keith Isley, my dad, Quail Dog. You know, uh, there's a, a huge list of guys that travel big acts. And to me, that's what a rodeo clown is. Now, if I want to stay closer to the house and not travel further across the country... Then I've got to figure out ways to reinvent myself every year. I've mm-hmm. got to come up with new skin, new yeah. routine. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I love going back to the same shows. And some guys, you can't make them go back to the same show because a lot of what you do doesn't work the next year. It's not as fun to them. Mm-hmm. But you change up your comedy skits, your big, your big act. Next thing you know, you can come back and, oh, man, hey, it's Trent. Yeah. And you become part of the family, part of the you community, bet. part of the committee. So having a large selection of acts is, is big to me. And and I held off on getting my PRCA card because I didn't think I was to the level of having enough acts. Mm. Because I thought everyone was like Lethal Harris, Keith Isley. Mm-hmm. You know, they're great. They might be there five years in a row and do five different skits. Yep, yep. And so, you know, the first year going out to the PRCA Vegas convention, it was kind of an eye opener whenever I realized that not everybody out there was lethal Paris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of guys starting off and they had what they had. But to me, it's all about big props, big acts. I've got three car acts, a race car, an ambulance, and a taxi mm-hmm. that I got from lethal. Yeah, yeah. I've got trick roping, trick mule, a hack clean routine that I 
did a variation with my dad years ago, and I absolutely love it. It's always a huge, huge reaction from the crowd mm-hmm. when I use that one. To me, that's an old act. It's kind of been around for forever. Yeah. But it's such an old act. Whenever I do it at these bigger rodeos, people are like, man, what an original act. That's yeah. great. Yeah. They haven't seen it. Okay. Has anybody has anybody tried to copy that act from you? Uh, you know, the hack cleaner is kind of like a few other acts out there where everyone's got a variation of it. I can't really get mad at somebody for doing it, but mm-hmm. nobody really does it the way I do. Okay. You know, where I pull somebody from the audience and I, next thing you know, the boyfriend gets out there. And I have more comedy and, and stuff built into the act than just blowing up a hat. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. It, don't get me wrong, when I do that, it's a big tell and it gets everyone off guard, but there's a whole lot more into the developing of the act, the, the, the setting up, the selling, you know, things like that. But yeah. shoot, you know, that I said, you know, a few of the acts, I've got also sharpshooter, mm-hmm. uh, you know, magic act, uh, rocket act. I got, I got a eight foot tall rocket act. It is a lot of fun. A uh, good friend of mine, I ended up getting it from him when he retired. And, uh, you know, it's just something I enjoy doing because it reminds me of him. Okay. Okay. Volcano. Yeah. And, uh, shoot, I came up with a new skit a couple of years ago with my kids where they get out there in the arena and they're the world's youngest bullfighters. <laughs> okay. And we introduce them, you know, and I love doing that. You know, it, just, it makes me happy on the inside. And the crowd gets a great big kick out of it by the time the the bull comes out there and it's a man eating bull and you know, he ends up eating one of the kids. <laughs> right, <you know>? right, right. <laughs> How fun. But we end up getting a bunch more acts from Ethel Harris when, when Lethal passed oh, away. Yeah. In okay. Okay. What, what new yeah. acts did you pick up? Can you share? You bet. I've got his piano act. Okay. Mr. Yeah. Friggins, which I always loved. It was a, you know, growing up watching him do it, it meant a lot to me. And, and the fact that I've got that act, you know, makes me smile when I see the process. Uh, I've got the golf club act from him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Black Bart. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, I ended up getting five or six routines from him that, that were polished skits. Yeah. That I, I could easily take and go in the arena the very next weekend okay. and make money with. Okay. So so it isn't just getting the props, it's getting the 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 outline of the skit, the lines, the timing. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And Lethal Harris was meticulous on it's all about timing. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. Or as he would say, timing is not everything, it's the only thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Absolutely. A simple pause here can emphasize what you're about to say there. Yeah. And stuff like that, you only learn from doing it. Absolutely. Being out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that immediate feedback you're getting from the audience as you're doing these, right? It's addictive. (laughs) I bet guys do that for the response. Yeah. More than they do it for the paycheck. Okay. Okay. And that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's nothing like the high, the adrenaline rush you get when you're out there trying your hardest and the crowd gives you a big payoff, mm-hmm. man, you feel like you're 10 foot tall and bulletproof. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how do now, you... The other thing... Go ahead. Yeah, not to cut you off there, bud, but the other side of that <laughs> equation, 
is if things don't go the way they're supposed to, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it flops right there in front of you, yeah. You can't dig a hole deep enough to hide <laughs> that audience. <laughs> now, have you had some of those instances, Trent? Have you really had some of those instances? <laughs> Absolutely. I've had times where a car would crank up and leave the arena. Yeah. And, and you're trying to figure out how are you going to sell it? Or, or a major bomb doesn't blow up. It's yeah. like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Yeah. And it would always amaze me how my dad and the great would take something that didn't go right. Mm-hmm. And they would almost make the act funnier because yeah. all the cowboys knew how it was supposed to go. And, uh-oh, yeah. things are off the rail now. What's going to happen? Yeah. And it would amaze me by how they were able to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, wow. You know, I got there in that moment and, and would have nothing. Absolutely nothing would come to my mind. Yeah. And I'd figure out a way to make it funny okay. or as funny as I could. Yeah. But then I learned the secret about that. Go ahead. Go ahead, do share. When something does something <laughs> doesn't go right. Yeah. You've got thousands of miles to think about it in the middle of the night <laughs> about what you should have done. <laughs> oh. So naturally things are gonna happen again. Well shoot you you've already been there in your mind a million times and yeah. you know exactly how to spell it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you look forward? I mean, is it okay in those some of those cases where the bomb didn't go off or something didn't happen? You go, you know what? I got some new material here. We're going to roll off this. And it's as if that's what the plan was. Roger Mooney (laughs) was one of the ones who kind of pulled me off the side early in my PRCA career. Yeah. And he kind of told me, he said, look, dude, when you get away from the script, that's when you find the gold. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of truth in that. When things don't go as planned or you don't have a plan, yeah. you'll stumble upon stuff that's like, holy cow, that's incredible. Yeah. I'm going to throw that in the act next time, and yeah. it just happened by mistake this time, you know? Yeah. So well, being able to improvise in those moments, being able to tap into that creativity that makes that makes it all work, right? You bet. You <laughs> bet. You got to roll some punches and have a quick wit. You bet. But, it's funny because I always tell guys that are asking me, starting off, how to become a clown. How yeah. do they do it? Yeah. And, and I kind of tell them, the best example I've got is like going fishing. Okay. When you're going to a pond you've never been to, you don't just go all the way to that pond with one lure in your pocket. Mm-hmm. You've got a tackle box. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So, you'll throw this out there, and if it don't work, you might change it up and Throw this out there. Okay. Well, a good rodeo clown kind of has to do that. You've got to have your your improv comedy. You've yeah. got to have your routine skit. You've got to have your stand-up jokes. You've got to be a little bit of a dancer and a cheerleader. you got to do just whatever it is to kind of fill that crowd up. Montgomery, Alabama may not work in Salina, California, or Belfour, South Dakota, or Caltown, New Jersey, or wherever you're at. Yeah. You always got to kind of change it up a little bit, find the rhythm. Mm-hmm. And when you tap into that, when you tap into the vein, you know you got them. Okay. And and a couple things I want to draw on from what you just shared there. You What what stand-up comedians do you listen to? Are, are you getting your material that way? What who, who do you just enjoy watching or listening to? Oh, wow. What a great question. There are so many comedians. I'm always listening to stuff. Yeah. 
something I think funny. Yeah. TikTok videos nowadays okay. to change things up. Okay. It used to be back in the day, you'd kind of have to read the, the magazines mm-hmm. that you, you didn't want to be caught with in order to get the joke. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> what you would say when you got caught. No, no, no. I needed the jokes. No, no, no. I'm, I'm reading. I'm, I'm researching. Research. <laughs> Oh, so so but, times you know, times readers digest is not something cool to be seen with. Okay, get your right. mind out of the gutter. That's All right. right that's right. No, I I hear you. Of course, that's where I was. That's where I was. So so times have changed, and how have your jokes changed over the past few years? Oh, you know, there's always. <laughs> you know, that's interesting that you say that yeah. and bring that up because. Yeah. I think people's attention spans are shorter than what they used to be. Okay. When Lethal Harris would go out there for his leadoff joke, he might have a three-minute-long joke with a punchline at the end. Yeah. Nowadays, you'll lose an audience if you try to tell a joke that long. Well, I'll lose an audience. Lethal could probably do it still. He was the greatest. Yeah. But, you know, nowadays, shorter joke, multiple punchlines thrown in there. You might have a two-minute segment but tell about four or five jokes. Okay. Their attention span has been shortened, and I can only bring it up to, you know, uh, social media. Okay. TikTok day and age, where if something's longer than 15 seconds, somebody's not going to watch it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's changing our whole uh, world, whether yeah. you want to admit it or not. Yeah. So, so and comedy so, changes, yeah. and things that used to be acceptable right and you're a little more risque yeah nowadays people are a little more sensitive to certain things okay so what dad would tell back in the 70s and 80s doesn't necessarily fly nowadays you're going to hurt someone's feelings and then when you do hurt someone's feelings back then they might you know write an email they might you know hey you know this was bad or or mm-hmm. better yet they'd send a postage letter yep yep letting someone know that they didn't appreciate it and they were offended. Nowadays, within a minute of somebody seeing something they don't like, they can go on social media, get a tidal wave of momentum behind them, and overnight, you are smeared all over yeah. national television yeah. and the media yeah. for being a bad person where they just took a one joke out of context or something. Yeah. So how do you choose your jokes and material? I mean, do you vet them in some way and say, okay, uh, this has to be maybe just a complete dad joke, which is hard to offend anybody. There's times and places for all of it. Yeah. You gotta fill the audience out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll try a lot of my new material out mm-hmm. on my coworkers in the operating room. Mm-hmm. They laugh all the time saying, okay, here we go. You know, I tell <laughs> a joke or something. Yeah. They'll be like, yep, he's testing them out on us. Aren't you Trent? I'm like, you bet. If I can't make y'all laugh in here, then I'm dang sure not going to carry it out there to 3,000 people. Right, right. <laughs> All right. right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But, you know, you kind of throw something out there, and if people laugh, yeah. and you kind of get the momentum going, then you can kind of hone in on what you're doing. However, if it's something super sensitive, political, things like that, I might throw one little jab, one little joke, yeah. and then I move away from it. I see. I can. I see. Okay, okay. You know, they, someone can get their feelings bruised, but if you keep punching on the sore spot, you're going to break skin, and that's when they're going to get real mad. I see. Okay. So move away as quick as you can. Um, 
I remember years ago, and this was, this was back probably in the 90s, um, I remember being at a rodeo in upstate uh, New Jersey. Uh, Keith Eisner yes, was working it, and nothing he yep. did worked. I mean, jokes, nothing he was doing was working. Tell us about a time when you had a tough crowd. And what do you do when people are sitting on their hands or frowning or whatever it may be? Have you had those situations? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think anybody in the business has had those moments. I was uh, in Arkansas, and my leadoff joke kind of fell flat. I thought, well, this is odd. Mm-hmm. Next thing you know, I'm telling two or three jokes that are kind of falling flat, not much of a response. And it was like, okay, now it's time to uh, so when I started getting a little panicked mm-hmm. because you're starting to lose the crowd. Mm-hmm. Whenever you say something, they're not liking it. Yeah. I had to think, okay, let's change this up. What can we do different? Mm-hmm. I started telling, you know, I was in Arkansas, you know, in the very backwoods of Arkansas. Next thing you know, I start telling booger picking jokes. Okay. Cut, 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 okay. Okay. Their Coca-Cola out, you know, <laughs> sure. the jokes I was telling were a little bit too complex for them. Okay. You know, or I've been in other situations where the jokes weren't really flying the way they always do. Your go-to material just wasn't hitting. Yeah. Next thing you know, you fall off and the fence, maybe land on the fence, flip okay. the rail, do a little physical comedy, throw yeah. yourself out from a pool and jump over the fence and run up and sit in somebody's lap. The physical comedy is okay. something, you know, a different variation of comedy, and that took off. Yeah. And once you start building that momentum and folks start laughing or giggling, yeah. then a giggle turns into a laugh. Okay, okay. And what comes to mind, you talked about not being mic'd up for a lot of years working with your dad, where you had to depend on your physical movements in the rodeo arena to, to entertain. You bet. And and sometimes I'll even catch myself nowadays where I'm so focused on what I'm saying yeah. that I don't try to get the big body presence, the arm movement, the facial expression, the things that, you know, really people hone in on yeah yeah if your wife says she loves you but doesn't look you in the eye and give you that look yeah. it doesn't feel the same right right so whenever you're telling a joke and you're so worried about what you're saying that you're not really yeah get into it moving with it making eye contact with that crowd it doesn't have the same response okay okay yeah. And and let me just ask this question. So what makes you laugh today, Trent? Oh, <laughs> you know, you know uh, what makes me laugh is other people laughing. Okay. That's the best response I've got. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because there's so many jokes that I've heard of so many jokes over the years. Yeah. That very rarely do I come across a new joke. Okay. Yeah. But I'm always about a new joke. But whenever I hear somebody hear a joke that I've said a thousand times and they get a kick out of it, then that makes me laugh. You know what I mean? Like, really? (laughs) That's what you thought was funny? (laughs) Because everybody has such a wide variety of what they think is funny. Sure. I hate it. Hate it. When someone comes up to me and says, hey, Trent, oh, you're a clown, huh? Oh, well, tell me a joke. Makes me laugh. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, it doesn't work that way <laughs> because what I find funny, you may find, you know, a dad joke. You might yeah. find a two blah yeah. or whatever you find funny. I might find vulgar and offensive. Right. You know what right. I mean? Right. It's so it's so wide variety, but you know, a good comedy show, you always kind of lead off with a, you know, a couple good jokes, but you're building momentum. 
to the final cell joke. Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. Okay. You hit somebody with a cell joke too early, that's too, that kind of rubs them the wrong way. But you build up to it, now it lands a different response. And you can tell when the crowd's out there connecting with you? Oh, absolutely. You bet. <laughs> yeah. And what's that you know, feel I like? like oh, it feels like you're uh, an I don't know, a, a conductor at a symphony. Okay. You know, yeah. you, you raise your hands up, they respond, they do something. I always like to interact with them, make them respond, and physically move at the very beginning of the show. As soon as I walk out, I want to do something and say something to them to where they've got to physically respond. Okay, now I know they hear me. Yeah. yeah. Now I know they can understand me. Yeah. Let's, let's get to doing some jokes and, and start fueling that fire a little bit and, you know, and kind of you know, give it to them and see their reaction and then you're always assessing and re you know kind of reanalyzing it while you're doing it okay how's this going i don't know it's a weird science and i'm a dork like that i guess okay okay <laughs> okay and you're connecting with the crowd and you're and and you're paying attention they're giving you feedback and that that's 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 sounds like that's giving you a lot of energy too oh it does man <laughs> I, there's nothing like it. it it is the greatest uh feeling in the world okay you know, to the point of which a lot of guys, you know, it's cost them a lot of, of uh, heartbreaks and heartache because you keep chasing that thrill from yeah. entertaining the audience. Yeah. And uh, next thing you know, it can take, you know, a devastating turn at the house. Say you more. You know what I mean? Say more. Well, well, I mean, that's kind of the behind the shoot stuff going on right here. I'm talking about kind of getting into the deeper sides okay. of what it's like to be an entertainer. You're out there living for the limelight, chasing your own spotlight. And, you know, it's fun. Boy, you know, you, you end up with, you know, a girlfriend, a wife, if you're lucky, mm-hmm. that enjoys the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But it takes a whole nother person to want to go with you, you know, 15 hour drive to go out to Wisconsin mm-hmm. and entertain for the weekend. Yeah. They're not out there in that spotlight. Mm-hmm. They don't feel that reaction from the crowd. Mm-hmm. They, they they reap the rewards of the paycheck. But whenever you're out there doing it, they don't get the same feeling mm-hmm. that you do. Yeah. Next thing you know, they're not as eager to go, hey, you know, we're gonna go to my girlfriends are planning a beach trip and you know and my family's doing this, or, you know, whatever. And next thing you know, you're kinda out there doing your own deal. Building into the persona, building into the career you've made and invest time in, yeah. and, and earning the living that you know is required at the house to make ends meet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but you're living two separate lives, and that can be really bad. Okay, well let's let's talk. We're gonna we're gonna go down that road just a little bit, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this question. Tell us the real story, the true life of a rodeo clown. What's it like? And what I mean by that is tell me about the challenges of the road. Tell me how how do you plan your runs and your schedules, right? And, and uh, yeah. how far ahead yep. do you book your shows? Well, that's uh, these are great questions. So whenever I was in high school, dad said, Trent, you can do anything you want to be in life. If you want to be a truck driver, you can be a truck driver. If you want to be a logistics person, you can be a logistics mechanic, mm-hmm. a pyrotechnician, a comedian. Yeah. You can do all these different jobs, or you can be a rodeo clown and do all of that at one time. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right, right. Because it takes every bit of it. 
you yeah. got to be the long haul truck driver. You got to be the mechanic to work on all the stuff that, you know, breaks down while you're driving or getting to the show and you open up the back of your trailer. And next thing you know, your, your car sitting on three wheels mm. instead of four mm. because it gets beat down by the road going there. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So and you're no- asking about, the details of the job. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, Doug. no, spot on. You're in exactly the same place. I mean, breakdowns alongside the highway at two in the morning, right? Yep. Uh, trying bet. to find fuel stations that are open, whatever it may be. Yep. And, no, and no doubt that some of that's gotten easier over time. Um, so, I mean, you, you're you driving a, a typical rodeo week, Okay. And I, let's say it's a Friday night through a Sunday night performance. You finish up Sunday night. It's 11 o'clock at night on Sunday night. Um, so pick us up there. It's time to go home. Take us all the way around to where you're next Friday. You've got a brand new show. And maybe it's 10, 12 hours from the house. So pick us up Sunday night, 11 o'clock at night. What are you doing? Well, okay. So... Typically, my average show in the Southeast, mm-hmm. when I'm not off on my run, I'll take about six weeks where I go rodeoing out on the road. Mm-hmm. The rest of the year, I go back and forth from the house. If it's within 12, maybe 15 hours, I'll drive from the house. Really? Okay. So I'm not living out on the road. That way I get family time. Yeah. I can work the day job and yeah. things like that. So my average show, Saturday night, yeah. when I'm done. Yeah. I sign autographs until the last person leaves. I take pictures with everybody, and I show the same enthusiasm at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night as I did at 7, 30 that night before the show kicked off. Yeah. You know, if they want to sit there and spend time at the show and, and money to, to watch what you're doing. The least you can do is take a picture with them and visit with their kids, cut up, things like that. For sure. That's the job. Yeah. Then all of a sudden they walk out. Now the other job begins. Okay. You go back to the trailer, you take off your makeup, you kind of uh, regather your thoughts for a quick minute. Then you've got about an hour to an hour and a half of loading the trailer, getting all the props back on, the car's parked, chained down, uh, barrel loaded, things like that. And if I'm lucky, midnight or 1230, I'm hitting the road. Okay. If I'm around the southeast, Mm-hmm. I'll try to bring it on into the house. You will. Nonstop. You'll oh, drive yeah. it overnight. I'm driving overnight. I'm up all night long from 1230 night till 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Pull in the driveway. Uh, I'll park out by my shop. Back in where I, I go. I'll plug my trailer in. And Wendy and the boys know that whenever I get in that late, I'm going to sleep out in the trailer for a little while just because I can get quiet time out there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. they're on a different schedule. If they're not with me, then they're on a different schedule. They, they've got a good night's sleep. They're up at six in the morning and it's time to live life as young, you know, kids. Yeah. So now I'm sleeping in the trailer for a few hours, mm-hmm. wake up about four hours later, three hours later, whatever. Now it's time to have family day. Okay. Or, or, mm-hmm. If I'm in, say, by 5, 6 o'clock in the morning, then by 9.30, we're headed to church. Okay, okay. Time to get us some Jesus, because if we don't have him in our lives, the rest of us is going to fall apart. Right, right. All right? Yeah. So then, now we got a little bit of an afternoon to spend time together, Mm -hmm. Sunday night, 
time to go to tuck the kids in bed, go to bed. And 5.30 the next morning, I'm out the door headed to the hospital, headed to the operating room. Okay. All right. So I'll work. I got an hour drive to where I work as a nurse first assist. I'm an RN first assist specializing in orthopedic surgery, neurosurgery, and brain surgery. All right. How Mm -hmm. crazy is that to think rodeo clown is going to be a brain surgeon, right? Right. Right. (laughs) Well, not a surgeon, but assist. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll work the day job. All right. So I work in the operating room 6.30 in the morning till 5 o'clock at night. Yeah. I get home at 6 o'clock at night. I spend time with the boys for a couple hours. Yeah. Time for them to go to bed. I do that four days a week, knock out 40 hours a week, if not 45. And then Thursday night, I'm back in the truck and trailer driving all night to the next weekend's rodeo. Okay. And do, and do the show Friday, Saturday, or Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever it is. And then repeat the cycle. Okay. I do that about you know, nine, ten weeks in a row. Okay. Do you have to take anything to the dry cleaners? I mean, you got some great outfits. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. My, my dry cleaner knows me real well. Okay. And my wife does a great job of making all that stuff happen during the week. Whenever I'm going to the hospital and whatnot, and when she takes the kids to school, she'll drop off the dry cleaning. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And do you have to unload anything? Do you have to clean anything to get ready for your next show? Do you say, oh, I want to take this act instead of that act? You bet. I've got a a book where I have all the stuff wrote down about what rodeos I've done and what acts I've done. And I don't ever want to repeat the same skit. Yeah. Nobody wants to see the same movie and pay money to see it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So... I'll do a little bit of research before it's time to head out on the road, yeah. find out what skits I can take, and you know I'll, I'll reload the trailer Wednesday night after I get off from the hospital, yeah. and then Thursday, I'll you know, go to the hospital, and I, sometimes I'll leave straight from the hospital and hit the road okay. with a whole new loaded trailer. Sunday afternoon, after I have a little family time, yeah. I unload laundry and, and reset the trailer if I need to, and go back to work you know okay and then so so drive in another 12 15 hours get to your next show let's say it opens up on a friday night um so you're you're leaving work on thursday night talk a little bit about what you do when you get to the rodeo grounds and what comes to mind promotions tv shows you got more responsibility than just being in the rodeo arena at showtime that's exactly right you know before i ever get to the show I touch base with the committee or the rodeo producer and find out what they're expecting of me. Mm-hmm. If they've got a bunch of PR stuff lined up, then I kind of make a schedule. Okay, I need to be there by such and such time. I might need to have makeup on and be at the, on the news at 530 in the morning. As folks are waking up and getting ready for their day, they get to see my ugly face on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and you got all kinds of obligations you got to take care of and help promote the show because you know I might just be little old Trent McFarland, mm-hmm. nothing special to me. Mm-hmm. You, you know, around my house, there's nothing <laughs> special about me. Yeah. However, yeah, you, you drive you know twenty hours somewhere else. Yeah, and and these people have been working on their rodeo all year long. Yeah, this is their yeah. one weekend. They finally get to reap the rewards of their hard work, and they're looking forward to seeing you. You're a big to-do in their world. Yeah. And so it's time to go to work. Yeah. You're never off the clock 
mm-hmm. as long as you're at the rodeo. Okay. Okay. So whether you're PR in that, doing PR stuff or just visiting with committee, yeah, you're always on the job and you're always trying to promote the rodeo you're working and the rodeo company you're working for. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you're tired and been up all night driving. Nope. Yep. Nope. Does not matter. Okay. So you better, you better, Better pull over and sleep on the way there if you need some rest. You bet. You bet. <laughs> so so how do you get ready for a show? Let's say it's a 730 performance on a Friday night. How do you get ready for the show? When do you get ready for the show? And I know that includes working with an announcer on your acts. You say, I'm going to do this act tonight and stepping through yep. that act with that announcer. But when do you start? Get, when when's it get serious? We got to run up here uh, to get ready for this show. Usually shortly after lunch oh. is when it's time to kind of get serious. Okay. It's time to okay. start, you know, getting the acts ready and pulling them off the trailer and making sure things are going to operate the way they need. Do they need painted? Do you want to touch them up? And, and, and anything you take in the arena, mm-hmm. part of being a showman, needs to be pristine. Mm-hmm. It needs to look like, wow. Yep. You know, people are paying money to see it. Yep. You want to give them something to be seen. I see. Yeah. So getting props ready can take some time, make sure they work correctly. Wiring up pyro for the skit, that takes a little bit of time. And then you got to go do a mic check, mm-hmm. make sure we got good sound. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes, you know, you, you need the help out. And, and a, you know, if they're having a hard time with the sound, a uh, new sound guy, they don't have speaker set quite right yet. There's all kind of variables that can happen that will require you to uh, take on the education you've learned over 20 years, 25 mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. and use your ears and say, okay, we need to address this. Because once the gate opens and the show starts, it's a show. Yeah. There's no, you know, it needs to be ready whenever the show kicks off. Yeah. So whatever you got to do to kind of make that happen. And then on top of that, Getting with the announcers, as you very well know, Doug, mm-hmm. you were one of my favorite guys to ever work with. Well, thank you. <laughs> but you would always take time during the afternoon. We'd go over the acts in detail. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I hate to ruin the illusion for anybody listening, mm-hmm. but there are certain things that Clown does that may look like we're just stumbling out in the arena. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we kind of had, okay, here's how it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. When we say this, we'll say that. We'll kind of have a set direction we're headed. Mm-hmm. And, and it takes time to core, uh, choreographer that. You yeah. know, what's yeah. the word? Yeah. I'm just a book. Yeah. I'm just a redneck from Alabama. What's that word? <laughs> oh, no. Choreograph. Choreograph. <laughs> yeah, chore- yeah, 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 that word. <laughs> Well, well, you know, I was there on Saturday night, and I talked to you right after intermission, I believe it was, maybe during the, the barrel racing, and you're, you're soaking wet. I mean, it had rained, you're sweating, you're in the middle of a show, and the show goes on, and I got to say, you looked great. You just absolutely looked great. You know, the outfits and that sort of thing. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little bit... You know, this is called behind the shoots, right? Beyond right. the arena, beyond the rodeo crowds, beyond the spotlights. Um, yeah, I'm going to ask a few personal questions here. So, <laughs> how did you how did you choose your makeup? That's a great point. So, rodeo clowns' makeup is like their fingerprint, yeah, right? Yeah. 
every clown has their own look. You don't want to copy somebody else's. And uh, dad got tired of putting makeup on me when I was about 14. Yeah. He said, okay, son, it's time for you to learn how to do this on your own. Yeah. You know, come up with an idea. Mm-hmm. And my stepsister, dad's girlfriend's daughter at the time, mm-hmm. we sat down and she was a heck of an artist. And next thing you know, we kind of said, well, you know, I'm a bit of a sweetheart. We'll put the hearts on the cheek. And, you know, God's extremely important. We're going to put it crosses on this, you know. Next thing you know, we developed the whole face pattern, and I've been wearing the same makeup pattern since 1995. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And I and, wish it was a better story. <laughs> no, that's a great story. I mean, my goodness, the longevity of it. And, and have you been tempted to change anything of, the, of your makeup uh, set? Well, I mean, not necessarily the makeup per se. Mm-hmm. I you know, maybe took out a line or two that was just a little bit too busy. Dusty Crane Dickerson one day, mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. Uh, she's a heck of a showman, and, and she said, you know, Trent, that's a little bit too much around your eyes. Can mm-hmm. you can you leave that off? And, I, and it looked good. She mm-hmm. got a good point. Okay. okay. Uh, my, look, my look has drastically changed. <laughs> yeah. From when I first started, I had a pink hat and a polka dot shirt and a neon green hat that I wear. So I decided I wanted to church it up a little bit and make it look a little better. There's a shirt from my dad's friend, Clyde Van Voorst, had Mm -hmm. a a shirt in my closet. Mm -hmm. He was a world champion saddle bronc rider in 1978, I think. Okay. And, And he passed away when we lived in Wyoming. That shirt hung in my closet for, you know, my entire childhood. Okay. And all of a sudden, I was like, you know what? I like that red, white, and blue look to it. Mm-hmm. I like the the silk yoke around the neck. I just like the way it looked. Mm-hmm. And took it, went and had some shirts made up like it. Uh, got rid of the pink hat or the neon green hat, and I started wearing a red derby. And, and thanks to my wife, <laughs> she helped out drastically on that image as well. And I like the way it looked, and, and I've been doing it ever since. Okay. Okay. Excellent. I'm known for that one simple you know, the one outfit. Yeah. And for our listeners, you can go to TrentMcFarland.com, and there's some great pictures. I got to tell you, Trent, I love your webpage. Very engaging. Oh, you, lots of color. Uh, easy to operate the perfect kind of web page for someone like me. But but <laughs> to our listeners, if you go on there, you will see pictures of Trent. I'm gonna include that in our notes. Uh, I'll put a link to your to your webpage trend in our notes to, uh, in you the bet. description you to bet. the show. And to our listeners, go take a look. You'll see his makeup. You'll see the colors. You'll see a lot of his acts that he's working. And notice the uh, the really bright, vibrant colors that he puts into his acts. Um, yeah, you know, to me, a clown should look like a clown. Yeah, I know that yeah. sounds silly, yeah. but there's so many guys nowadays that want to be rodeo clowns, but but you can't really tell them the difference between the bullfighters and them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've noticed. I that. have a yeah. very stand. Yeah, it's. I'm not knocking them. Yeah, it works for them. Yeah, but my dad was a clown growing up. He wore a blue wig. Yep. I wanted to be a clown, and, and when kids look out in the arena, I want them to be able to spot me. You I bet. want them to know there's the clown. Yep, yep. You know, because if yep. you're not entertaining the kids, yeah, parents are not going to buy a ticket 
and pay for a babysitter. Right, right. The, the kids are there. You, you got to entertain the kids. And so I've got a yellow wig. I got mm-hmm. yellow bandanas. It's easy to spot me. You, yep. you know, bright colors. You uh, bet. So when you get up in the crowds, like like or in the crowd, like you did on Saturday night, it was easy, you know, to to be able to spot you, as you just said. I enjoy being clown. Some people are afraid of, of offending you and saying, "Are you, you know, can I call you a rodeo clown?" Absolutely. Yeah. I am a rodeo clown and proud of it. Yeah. Well, just so yeah, you, you know. Rode- one of my earliest memories, I was at a rodeo, I was probably four years old, five years old, and there was a rodeo clown, and we sat fairly close to the arena. It was an indoor arena, a Bob Barnes rodeo, and I was scared yep. to death that clown was going to come over and make, you know, do something with me that might embarrass me. So that's just my story. I've had to work through that, threat. <laughs> And then you made a career out of clowns picking on you and making fun of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all come full circle. So, so do me a favor. Describe Trent McFarlane when the makeup comes off. Oh, you know, that's a good question. I don't think I even know who I am, yeah. to be honest with you. When the makeup goes on, that is a completely different guy. Okay. It's, it's weird to say that, yeah. but my persona, my personality, everything changes. I, you know, it almost be considered like <laughs> uh, multiple personality disorder. Okay. Okay. In well, a way. And, and there's what, things that guy can do that I can't get away with. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I make a comment to a pretty lady, you know, doing the whole flirty jokey <laughs> thing. As a cowboy, it comes across different than the clown. Absolutely. You, you know, better it, have it, your it, orange wig on if you're going to do that. Yeah. If, if I express interest in a kid and kind of cut up with them and, you know, and kind of, you know, show attention to them in whatever way, as a cowboy, who's this weird, creepy guy Yeah. versus a clown? Oh, okay. He's just having fun, you know? Yeah. It's completely so, different. So have you noticed that with the makeup on, you're interacting with somebody, you, you hit it off with somebody, and an hour later, your makeup's off, you're standing beside them. Do they recognize you still? No. No, that happens <laughs> all the time. That's why I started getting my sponsor shirts from Wrangler. Okay. I started getting my sponsor shirts with my name put on them. Okay. Because I'll oh. show up to functions, kickoff parties, you know, whatever, <laughs> a day before the rodeo. Yeah. And I, I'd be there, and people would be nice to me, yeah, yeah, but a little bit standoffish. Yeah. And then the next night at the rodeo, when it kicks off, they're like, "Man, where were you last night? <laughs> I was there. <laughs> you didn't recognize me, but that was me." Yeah. You know? yeah. So and now, back in the day, yeah. pre-wife, that worked out really good because I could, you know, hit on a cute girl. I see. If she didn't like what I said, then I take the makeup <laughs> off and I try a whole different tactic. <laughs> <laughs> more Im- more improvising. I like that. I like that. So so here's another question. Are you funny all of the time? You told you told about being in in surgery and trying out some new routine, okay? Some yeah, new jokes. That's right. Surgery. Yeah. yeah, going up and down the road. I mean, just you sitting and talking. Are you funny the whole time or I don't think I am. Okay. I don't think I am. Some okay. people they got a different opinion and they think, you know, to me, I'm just me. Yeah. 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 I've been around some guys and you were laughing, you know, it hurts. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I'm necessarily that guy per se. Okay. okay. I, I don't know that though. I mean, that's just my own personality or my own opinion. 
Yeah. But to me, I'm boring and dull. Okay. You know, okay. people will find out, man, you do this. How come we didn't know that? Well, shoot, I've always done it. You know, I, it doesn't impress me. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just what I do. Yeah. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of times in the operating room where, you know, they'll think, hey, oh, I, that's all I do is cut up right. in a very serious, you know, when it's time to be serious, it's time to be serious. You can do it. But in the operating room, whenever that time has passed mm-hmm. and it's such a high stress situation, mm-hmm. A well-placed joke can make the entire outcome of the surgery change. You bet. You, know, you bet. Now people can relax. We'll just get back to our job. Okay, that was, you know, here we go. Yeah. So, uh, so it how worked did, out good. Perfect, perfect. So how did you decide to become an RN? I, where where I did that come for, from? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I was already wearing a makeup, and the male nurse was the next logical choice. <laughs> no, uh. You know, my mom was a nurse. Oh, she was. Okay. Dad was a clown. I saw where the demand was that I'd always have a job mm-hmm. with benefits, sick leave, retirement. And then I saw where the fun money was, the, the big paychecks, whenever they come in, they, they can be really good rodeo. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy that outlet and being able to entertain. Yeah. So being an operating room nurse kind of marries those two ideas together perfectly. Okay. Because when a patient's scared going into the operating room, that's the, a life-changing experience for them. They, mm-hmm. you know, have maybe never been in surgery before, mm-hmm. and they are terrified. So if I can cut loose some jokes and help them relax prior to going to sleep, mm-hmm. or if it's an extremely situation, you know, a bad trauma, mm-hmm. and now, you know, we've got the bleeding stop, we, we've got everything under control, and you can tell a joke where everyone kind of can relax. Mm-hmm. And, you know, catch a breath, and now we can, you know, grab that second gear and get back to work and finish the surgery. You know, it, it works out really good. Plus, in the in the rodeo arena, if something goes wrong and, and a cowboy gets hurt, I'm the first one to him. I, I can see. assess him. Okay, is this serious? Is this really bad? Yeah. Do we need to, you know, get him out of the arena? Do we need to call in the paramedics? Mm-hmm. You get the paramedics out there, they're going to show for about 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to package them up because now they get time to, you know, and I don't want to talk bad about paramedics. You know, I'm not mm-hmm. beating them up. Mm-hmm. But now they've got 2000 witnesses watching every move they make. Yeah. So they yeah. might, you know, do everything extremely by the book. You know, this guy might have a stumped toe, but now we're going to put a C package on them and we're going to package them up, you know, and do their thing. And, that, and other. Mm-hmm. not a good situation. So if yeah. I can find out, hey, buddy, what's going on? Where's it hurt? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's my foot. Well, get up and get out of the arena. <laughs> Quit laying out here. Right, all right. Right. You know, it might be some some local yokel guy that got bucked off, and because he only rode for you know a, a point zero one seconds, well, now he's going to lay out there for eight minutes so his girlfriend can see him. Right. Like, get right. out of here, dude. You know, <laughs> <stop. Please>. <laughs> <laughs> There's a time for bedside manner, and that's not one of them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, I got to leave that at the door. Or whatever. Start slowing down the show, and it's not needed. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I and I also have no sympathy. Yeah. I have no sympathy for sports athletes to get turf toe and to get a lay out there in the field, okay? Okay. I don't get it. <laughs> I broke my femur. Yeah. I shattered my femur. Yeah. And dislocated my elbow. And, I mean, I erected me out bad in the rodeo arena. Yeah. And I was wearing a microphone. Yeah. And all I said over the microphone was, please turn my microphone off <laughs> and send in the ambulance. Right. I mean, there wasn't no hollering and right. screaming and carrying on. Yeah. It is what it is. 
Yeah, tough enough. Come on. Always the performer, always the showman. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Of course, th- at that particular show, I-, I just came out with an ambulance routine that year, mm-hmm. and all my cowboy buddies thought it was part of the skit. They're like, oh, yeah. this is great. Hey, he's asking for the ambulance. Yo, you watch this. They, they were laughing, and finally it got like, oh, this is serious. <laughs> He's serious. <laughs> oh, this is not an act. This is not an act. <laughs> uh, someone, someone came up to me and said, man, are you okay? I said, no, I broke my leg and I broke my arm. Well, it went over the PA system because the announcer even thought it was part of the oh, Okay. I mean, okay. It, was, it was not a good situation. Right, yeah. right, right. And that's, that's when the, the nursing job came in handy. Yeah. You know, I was able to tell them, okay, guys. When they, the paramedics come to me, I was like, all right, I need one of you to put traction on my femur. Let's straighten it out. Yeah. You know, and they're holding my arm and, 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 you know, of course they packaged me up and I threw the thumbs up and everyone went to scream. And I was like, God, this is cool. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a cool feeling. And, and, but it really wasn't that cool. Cause about two months of, of pain and recovery, yeah. Yeah. that five seconds of cheering wasn't worth it. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's for sure. <laughs> they carried me out back and, and they were holding on to my arm, and my wife was, Wendy, and she was holding my arm, and it was dislocated at the elbow and fractured a little bit, and, yeah. and it was really not looking right. And I said, you got my arm? She said, yeah. I said, are you sure? She said, yeah. And I grabbed my wrist, and I, I pulled on it and popped the elbow no. back in place. And no. I, I said, God, that feels better. Oh, my. Everyone in paramedics looked at me like I was insane. Same. I think I would have passed out. I think I would have passed out if I watched you do that. Uh, hey, uh, I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew a dislocation hurt a lot more than whatever I could try. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so you mentioned Wendy. Of course, you got the two kids, uh, Cody and Ryder, right. nine and seven. Yes, um, yes. Do, you, do, you, do you guys live on a farm? Do you have horses? Animals? Uh, we live. We live in the most perfect place for those two boys to grow up. Okay. We bought a, you know, we got 110 acres here mm. in Alabama. Mm. And it, we bought it from the neighbors of my in-laws. Mm-hmm. My, my in-laws, they have a thousand acres. Oh, wow. Okay. A, a family, okay. family farmland has been in their ge- family for generations. Mm-hmm. And so here's these two boys growing up with all this land. They're seven and nine years old and will take off on four wheelers ride all over the place they swim in the pond we've got various creeks around here with swimming holes and they run you know we'll go swimming in the creek it's just a place for boys to grow up mm-hmm. you know we, we run a got a deer hunting operation and so we got all kinds of deer hunting and oh, wow. log hunting and there's never a boring moment where you're sitting in the house saying oh i'm bored yeah it's like you ain't bored. Get outside. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, let me just point something out here. Uh, based on what I'm seeing, your rodeo schedule, mid-February, you're on the road. And basically, come back off the road mid-November, not counting finals that you might be working later in the year. So, That's right. That's so right. you're doing all of this other stuff, the guided hunts, and everything needs to be done on the farm. Basically, what are we talking from December through January? Two months? Well, I'll try to take off the month of January because that's when our deer season gets really okay. Serious. Okay. Alabama deer season, the rut hits mid January okay. to, to second week of February. Okay. Where it everyone else is done hunting in November. We're just getting fired up. Okay. And so, you know, the, 
I try to take off in January, not always successful. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll take a few rodeos, mm-hmm. but I am married to an incredible woman mm-hmm. that can do more than most men. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's why I fell in love with her. Cause I knew she was not just a trophy wife mm-hmm. that was arm candy, but she was functional. All right. She okay. could handle it. Okay. Yeah. And with my schedule being what it is, she's a hand. Mm-hmm. She would jump on a tractor with a 20 foot bush hog and okay. go to bush hogging here in the next few weeks. Actually. Okay. okay. Uh, I'll have a couple weekends off. Maybe this fall we'll get food plots put into the deer seat for the deer. Mm-hmm. And we'll get the, you know, grounding and uh, tilling ground and, and breaking it and planting. We run deer feeders year round that require someone to ride and put out feed. She handles all that. Oh, she, wow. She's a heck of a hand. Oh, wow. Okay. And, you know, when a hunter shoots a deer, she can clean a deer faster than I can. Yeah. <laughs> Which scares me. Okay. <laughs> she's, yeah, she's learned a lot of skills. That is that is very cool. Now, a few years ago when I was working with you, the family was traveling with you. Wendy was part of your rodeo act. That's right. And That's right. Is she able to, are the kids able to, to travel with you as much? <sighs> Well, you know, they're not able to go as much as I would like mm-hmm. for them to go. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my oldest, he's nine years old. Mm-hmm. We've got a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. Yeah. The nine-year-old, he, he needs a little extra help on it, you know, his reading. He, unfortunately, okay. he kind of takes after his daddy. Okay. He's got that ADHD. Okay. okay. And, you know, it kind of kicks his butt. He's got dyslexia. Yeah. And he's having a hard time. He's the most intelligent kid I've ever seen in my life. Okay. But he's having a hard time with letters. Mm-hmm. So, oh. Mm-hmm. The last last two summers, instead of living on the road with Daddy, mm-hmm. they've been here at the house. He's been studying with a tutor mm-hmm. two or three times a week mm-hmm. because, you know, that education is important. It's fun yeah. to rodeo, yep. but you need to have your backup plan because the rodeo life will pay it eventually. Okay. And, it, you know, and, and I don't want him to be like so many of these cowboys that, you know, they might be a world champion cowboy one year, the, the top of the world. They mm-hmm. might win, you know, a million dollars. Yep. Yep. And, and then 30 years later, they're working as a farmhand, just mm-hmm. trying to you know, earn a living enough to pay for the electric bill and, and a little bit of food. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So the education for sure. Do you think the uh, either of the boys might be interested in following your footsteps? I would sure like to hope so. And, yeah. and it makes me smile when they're out there because I can see that fire igniting. Okay. Okay. I can see the way they love it when the crowd responds. And I've got a garage full of acts that I've accumulated all over these years that, yeah. that it, you know, I would like to pass down to them, kind of like my dad would make, did with me. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, time will tell, but I've got a good feeling that'll be the way it happens. Okay. And you and you alluded to this a little bit earlier, um, young folks saying, Hey, I wanna be a I wanna be a rodeo entertainer, I wanna be a barrel man, I wanna be a funny man. What advice do you give or what would you give to somebody that tells you, Yeah, I wanna do what you do? What's your advice? You know, it's the greatest job in the world. You mm-hmm. get to travel all over the country, you get mm-hmm. to see a lot of the country. Now mainly you, you see the country from midnight until five in the morning mm-hmm. when <laughs> a yep. white line in South Dakota looks like the white line in, in, in Florida, okay? <laughs> yeah. When you're on the highway at night, it's nice. But it's a great career to get into to see the world. Mm-hmm. You can make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, a good living doing it. Yeah. 
and it, it's very fulfilling. You get to be, you know, the, the, the man, you get to be the life of the party. You know, you get to be the one everyone looks forward to seeing. And, and it's a lot of fun. Okay. If they want to get into it. Yeah. You know, find you a small rodeo association nearby. Okay. Get out there and, you know, and learn what you can. Go watch folks. Okay. Study up on the craft. Keep working on it. Yeah. And you'll eventually work a small show. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, somebody else sees you and they're like, hey, I'll pay you to come work our rodeo two or three weeks from now. Yeah. And you go from doing it from free for free to making, you know, $600 for the weekend. Yeah. To making 1200 for the weekend to making up to $2,500 a performance. Yeah. 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 And you're there for five days. That's a lot of money to it's, get paid as a crazy clown. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. But, but and, and, and still, as we've covered, I mean, man, the, the acts you've got to create, the timing you've got to learn, the jokes and the sensitivity of things these days. How do you sort through all that stuff? Have, um, have you considered um, rodeo, maybe starting a rodeo school for clowns? Um, you know, there, yeah. 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 You know, I would love to say I have. There's okay. a few schools out there. There are. Okay. They'll teach guys how to work a barrel. Mm-hmm. In conjunction to guys learning how to fight bulls. Okay. You got guys who are learning how to work a barrel. Yeah. But you can't teach somebody in the course of a weekend right. how to have timing and tell a joke. Yeah. That's just something you got to get out there and work on and work on. And people who enjoy entertaining, yeah. they, knew that I, they know who they are. Yeah. You know, th there's guys I've tried to push into being a clown because I knew they're getting older as a bullfighter and they needed to have that money. You know, it's a lot easier to be a clown than it is a bullfighter. Yeah. You know, back in my dad's day, you had to be, you know, you went from riding bull to all of a sudden somebody would pay you to be a bullfighter. Well, mm -hmm. you're already used to running from them, right? Right. So now you're getting paid a little bit of money to go to the rodeo versus mm -hmm. spending money entering up the rodeo and never winning it. Mm -hmm. So it's a good business plan. But back then, the bullfighter had to be the clown, the entertainer. Yeah. Yep. That's not the way it is nowadays. Yeah. Nowadays, guys can be bullfighters, and that's all they'll ever be. They're, they're happy with that. Mm -hmm. You can't make some bullfighters get into a barrel and get hit by a bull. Right. They right. want that freedom to be able to run away from it versus you're there till the bull is done with you. Yeah. You know? But that being said, bullfighting, there's a lot more of them because every bull rider is used to running from bulls. Mm -hmm. So now mm -hmm. they become bullfighters. But when the show goes off the rail, yeah. when things don't go right in the production, mm -hmm. and they say, okay, right. Trent, right. it's your job to entertain the audience. You we bet. don't want people to leave. It might take five minutes. Yep. It might take 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. So now you go out there, and that's when you earn your paycheck. Yep. Anybody can clown a rodeo when it's easy. Yep. But whatever, you're, it's your job to keep that crowd engaged yep. until the show gets back on. Yep. It's it's harder. It's it's skill set that's a lot more rare. Yeah, and that's why entertainer make a lot of money. Okay, so so let me ask: What do you think is the future of entertaining in rodeo? Doing what you're doing, do you think it's going to change? How does it change? 
Yeah. Talk a little bit about where you think this is headed over the next 10, 15 years, Trent. It's already changed. How so? So, Trent, what do you think is the future of entertaining in rodeo 10 years, 15 years from now? Is it going to change? How has it changed so far since you got started? Well, I think that there will always be a need for a rodeo clown that can go out there and do the big acts because there's always going to be transitions in rodeos where they're going from the rough stock to the town event. The clown can get out there and do a big comedy skit and people don't realize that the transitions happened because they're focused on him. However, with PBR and all that stuff coming on, there's a lot more guys going after the Flint Rasmussen, Matt Merritt style where they can do dancing, clapping, crowd interaction. And that's all the PBRs and stuff need. So now you got a whole lot of guys out there trying to mimic them and they're not investing in the act. So in a way, rodeo clowns are getting more and more rare because you got so many guys that are hand clapping and doing the crowd interaction. But, you know, gold's worth a lot of money because it's rare. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well said. Well said. And we have seen a big change, as you've talked about. So, yeah. so anything that you want to share that I haven't, uh, anything I haven't asked you about? You know, I, I can't really say that there is. There, you know, I, we've hit everything. I think I'm so. blessed to do what I do. I'm, I, I feel like God chose me to do this job. And, and every weekend I go out there, I just remind myself of how lucky I am to do it and to, uh, to, to not waste the opportunity. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. In absolutely. the words of Roger Mooney, be humble and don't stumble. Be humble and don't <laughs> stumble. I like that. Yep. That may be the name yep. of this episode, if that's okay. <laughs> so so how do folks get in touch with you let's say a rodeo committee is listening to this tonight uh this this podcast how do they get how do they get in touch with you what's the easiest way trentmcfarland.com by far is the easiest okay it's got all my contact information yeah but i'm also you know trent mcfarland on tiktok and trent mcfarland rodeo entertainer i'm sorry rodeo clown on instagram tiktok mm -hmm. facebook I've got to do all the social media stuff and, and I've got a pretty good following on TikTok. Okay. You know, it, I know my sponsors appreciate it because my sponsors are a main reason why I'm able to get out there and do what I do. And they help me get up and down the road. Absolutely. So shout so, out to my sponsors. Thank you. Wrangler, Alabama farmers cooperative, South fresh feeds, piranha life and Greeley hat works. Right. I love it. I love it. Yeah. We've got to weave the sponsors in. We must. We must. That's part of the show. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so, so final question of the night, Trent. What you got? Do you have a new joke that you're trying out that you would share with us? Now, it is you know, a G audience. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, so there's that. There's a G audience. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Appreciate the heads up on this one. <laughs> Nothing like putting me on the spot. See, this goes back to if I say something, someone's going to say, oh, it's a dad joke. Yeah, yeah it's a dad yeah. joke. That's oh, okay. There's nothing funny about that. Yeah. But you know when a joke becomes a dad joke? When's that? Do you know when a joke no. becomes a dad joke? I don't know. When? When it becomes a parent. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just so you know, I love that. I absolutely love that. I'm a fan of anything dad jokes. And just so you know, right. to our listeners, you can't imagine how many times during the show I may look at Trant and say, Trant, we got, we got a problem with the barrier. I need you now. Bring something out. <laughs> so he says, I put him on the spot. Count on it. Uh, you know, the stupid dad jokes, I'll yeah. usually go to a couple of them throughout the show. You try to spice it up with a little bit of everything. You don't use the same season or not whenever you cook a meal. Yeah. But there are times where I'll use a dad joke and, and it just fits perfectly. Absolutely. You know, you'll hear the folks that haven't really laughed maybe much at all. Yeah. All right. They'll, they'll yeah. get the biggest kick out of the dad jokes. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. a groan is as good as a laugh. <laughs> At least you Absolutely. know they're listening. At least you know they're listening. <laughs> when I was in Salinas, California, I told a dad joke, and my buddy, you know, who was a great bullfighter, won Salinas quite a few years in a row. Ross Hill, he's no longer with us. I loved him like a brother. After the show was over, he was dying laughing. He's like, "You were at one of the biggest shows on the stage of rodeo." And you told that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we laughed. Oh, good stuff. Okay. Yeah. Well, this has been a blast. Per the schedule, tell me if this is right or wrong. I show July 28 and 29. You're going to be in Jackson, Mississippi. That's right. Okay. That's right. That's a new show for them. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I'm looking forward to it. And it looks like it looks like you are somewhere every darn weekend. It looks like, if I'm doing the math quickly, until October sixth and seventh, you are out pretty much every weekend. And I know you're still working surgery, but it looks oh, like yeah. every weekend. Uh, it looks like your next off weekend is going to be October. What'd that be? Thirteenth, fourteenth, something like that. Uh, and I think I booked that already. <laughs> yeah, you, okay. <laughs> Since okay. the website came oh. out a couple months ago, yeah, yeah. it, it kind of fills up. I try to take off, though. I try to give myself a break about every yeah. nine weeks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, I've enjoyed our conversation here tonight. This has been a hoot, Trent. I am so glad I got to hang out with you. Um, for our listeners, I sat sat with uh, Trent in, in in the trailer for a couple hours after the show till about one thirty in the morning. I think it was when I crawled back in the motorhome. So <laughs> great to see him, and uh, I love the energy. And we it was just so fun on Saturday night to catch up. And this was every bit as good, Trent. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you, bud. Looking forward to it every time I get a chance to visit with you. And, and I really enjoyed the picture, okay, that you sent ah. me. That was, that was entertaining, and, and it was a topic of conversation. I right? bet so. And and just for our listeners, I'll I'll, I'll put a I'll try to get this up um, uh, for our listeners. It's about nine o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning. I'm, I'm on with my nephew on the phone. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to Troy, and I look out the window, and here's this here's this young lady and a and a and a young 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 boy, and she's got a goat on a leash. And she's got Trent's door open, and she's trying to get the goat to go into the living quarters. So, thank goodness I had my phone, and I could videotape it, and I send it to Trent. And, of course, Trent says, now that's a party. That's a party. When the goats show up, that's a party. That was part of the committee. And and really, that lady, she had planned on doing that, and it 
everybody knew she was going to do it except for me. Okay. And when okay. she opened the door, when she opened the door, my mom was on the couch and she didn't realize my mom was there because she lives, you know, a couple hours from the rodeo. Okay. So she seen my mom and she's like, Oh my God, I can't throw a goat in there. <laughs> I saw her hesitate. I knew she must have been talking. She had second thoughts and I'm like, No, don't weaken now. Go on with it. <laughs> she ended up panicking. She said, uh, uh, just let Trent know we, we cook breakfast over here. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, I was I was hoping that goat was going in because I had it on video. It was it was uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would have been great. Absolutely, Old rowdy dog would have been chasing it all over the trailer. Absolutely. That'd be a heck of a wake up. That'd be a yeah. heck of a wake up. You go, of course, yeah. it's a great party. The goat's here. <laughs> Some kind of party. All right, Trent, my friend, be safe. Enjoy your off weekend. And yes, sir. get ready yes, sir. to roll out there and looking forward to, to talking with you in the future. You bet. Thank you so much, Doug. I appreciate you so much. And hey, thanks for having me on behind the scenes. Absolutely. I, 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 uh, it's, it's been a pleasure. Take care of things, my friend. It was great to catch up with Trent, both at Benton on Saturday night and in this conversation. I did watch the young lady try to get the goat into Trent's living quarters pretty early in the morning on that Sunday morning. Pretty funny to watch and to video, which reminds me, odds are you are always in someone's camera, so act accordingly. Trent spoke about his relationship with Liesl Harris, the legendary rodeo clown that was inducted into the PRCA Hall of Fame in 2007. I had the unique opportunity of working with Liesl at the Ford Armstrong Rodeo in Ford City, Pennsylvania in 2018. What a gift I received that weekend. I sat and listened to Liesl and his stories. He has a book that he gave me that you should check out. This ain't my first rodeo. You can find it on Amazon. I've added that link and several others from my research in the notes for your review. To make your listening easier, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Search for Beyond the Shoots and follow us. You can also check us out on Beyond the Shoots webpage at beyondtheshoots.show. Remember, check out the New York State Rodeo Museum Facebook group page and become a member. We also have a Facebook page for Beyond the Shoots. Become a friend and like, follow, say hello, leave us some comments. And we'd like to say thank you to Parasite Systems for their support with our podcast. Parasite System is a push-button parasitic diagnostic system for pasture animals, horses, cattle, goats, sheep, and chickens. And for your companion animals, your dogs and your cats, get the data you need to properly treat your animals for the exact infestation that they are carrying. You can find them at ParasiteSystems.com. This is Beyond the Shoots. Until next time, thank you for listening. <laughs>